This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 205 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right, so I've got quite a bit to share with you guys this week, so let me run things down for you here real quick. Today, I am going to talk about, uh, number one, autographing the Pacers in Orlando last Wednesday. Uh, Number two, I've got a piece of mail I'd like to share with you. Number three, I'd like to weigh in on another altered card in a PSA slab. And then four, the last portion of the show, I'm going to address the most recent Panini relic controversy. You guys know the one. You've probably seen it on social media where people are ripping relics up only to find that a different player's name is attached to the fabric on the back. I know that's been talked about some already on different shows, but I have a few points that I think are worth adding to the conversation So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, so first up, last Wednesday night, I attended the Pacers Magic game in Orlando. So, of course, that means I also attempted to get autographs before the game. I know I've talked a little bit about my autograph adventures before. Uh, Last March, I got Tyrese Halliburton and a few other guys on custom cards I made at home. I tried to do something similar with Benedict Mathurin not long ago in Miami, but as you guys heard, that didn't pan out. You know, turns out that arena is horrible for autographs, but I figured my chances in Orlando were much better, seen as I had done this there several times before. And what I found lately is that ushers do check your tickets, but if you get one in the same section of the visiting tunnel, you should be good to go. So I I did that. I made sure to get there in plenty of time. And unfortunately, some of the rookies and bigs were already done warming up before doors opened, so that meant no Andrew Nimhard. Uh, Remember, I made that custom of him, that timeless moment, so that's still not signed. And then no Benedict Matherin. So that plan that I hatched at the start of the season is still not uh, going to work. But I did get some other guys, including another um, Tyrese Halliburton. So that was nice. Now, another reason why I like this tunnel section in Orlando is because I'm still trying to get in the background of a basketball card. I'm going to keep working at this. In, In my mind, it will happen. And I know um, all along the way of this goofy little quest of mine, I've had some people tell me that I just need to buy nicer seats. Well, you know, really the ones I'm getting aren't all that bad. I was in row 10 on this particular evening. And anyway, being in the first row doesn't necessarily make things automatic either. It's all about the angles and then obviously um, quite a bit of luck. So one thing that I do though is I wear bright Pacers gold. Every time that I go, I've got this gold shirt that I wear. 
I feel like it sticks out and makes it easier to find me in the background of photos on Getty Images. Now, I already found two shots in particular from this game that uh, that I'm in that I think would look nice on a card. One of them's Gary Harris, so I'm not sure how many more cards he's going to get, although I think he was in the new Mosaic. The other is TJ McConnell, and he's a pretty reliable signer for Panini right now, and they seem to be adding him to more and more sets. So that one is possible. I'm going to be watching for that closer to the end of the 2022-23 release calendar. Uh, Panini seems to use a lot of photos from Pacers Magic games, so I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but things are kind of lined up into place should Panini need more TJ McConnell photos and provided they don't crop the background out. So I guess it is still a pretty long shot. Uh, As for the game itself, I don't have much to say. It was an entertaining game, though, even though the Pacers lost. Um, And that's been happening a lot now that Halliburton is hurt, but he's coming back, so that's a good thing. One other thing worth noting, and this was something I didn't know about heading into things. This particular night was Brazil night in the arena, and the Magic brought in a number of Brazilian musicians and celebrities, including Basketball Hall of Famer Oscar Schmidt. And I had no idea he was going to be there. I probably wouldn't have been able to get close to him anyway. Otherwise, I would have tried to get a picture. But um, I know we're about to see LeBron break Kareem's NBA scoring record. Well, Oscar is generally considered to be the sport's all-time leading scorer. And I know some of you might not have even heard of him. But um, all-time leading scorer for his club league and national team play, where he scored nearly 50,000 points. And he never actually played in the NBA, even though the Nets did draft him. But uh, he didn't want to give up playing for his national team. And that, that's kind of how things worked at the time. In 2023, that wouldn't be an issue. But anyway, he is a legend. He is a Hall of Famer. He was there, so that was nice to be able to see him in person, even if it was from a distance. Anyway... That night was a great experience overall. If you want to see some visuals, I posted a few things on social media and then also a video recap on my YouTube channel. So make sure to check that out. Okay, on to the mail. And before I get into my purchase from this past week, I want to extend another big thank you to a trio of collectors. Um, Actually, four guys, because I got another package in today. So there was a listener named Steven that sent me a package full of Pacers press photos from the 80s. Kevin Cormier sent me a really nice Jermaine O'Neal patch. Uh, Darren, who you might know as Deputy Dog, sent me a nice Danny Granger from 2008 Exquisite. And then Steven, who you'll hear on the show here very soon, actually, a Nets collector, he sent me a couple of the new PSA magazines. He passed those on so I could go ahead and read those. So uh, thanks again, guys. I know I've, I've thanked you already, but I wanted to thank you again. All right, as for the purchase, I bought a 2018-2019 Immaculate Patch Auto, numbered 8 of 10 of Ernie DiGregorio. And for those of you that don't know Ernie D, I would say he is one of the biggest what-if stories from the 70s because he had an outstanding college career at Providence, and then he took that momentum with him into the NBA where he was drafted third by the Buffalo Braves, and he won Rookie of the Year. He put up all sorts of great numbers. I think he even led the league in assists that first season, but then in his second season, he suffered a bad knee injury, and from that point on, he would never be the same. Now, the interesting thing about all of his Panini relics, including this one that I acquired this week, is that um, while he's pictured as a Buffalo Brave, which is what he's known as, the memorabilia piece itself comes from a Lakers jersey, and I've actually been collecting pictures of these pieces for a couple years now. 
I'm not 100% sure, but I'm I'm pretty sure that I've matched it up to a jersey that sold on Heritage in 2014. Um, if nothing else, though, the odds are in my favor because he only played 25 games for the Lakers total. And after a quick look on basketball reference, I believe 11 of those were on the road. So provided the Lakers followed the standard home and away configuration for their jerseys, this piece was from um, at least one of those 11 games, if not all of them, because I doubt they prepped a lot of Lakers jerseys for him. Either way, it's a very small period of time where he wore this material in a game. You guys know I like that kind of stuff. I like tracking older material down, so this is a card that I wanted to own. I saw it on John, um, I should say Clip Cards Band's page, and he was kind enough to move it to me at cost. So thank you once again, John. All right, before I move into today's final segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, I've got a couple topics I want to talk about in the second half today. And the first one deals with an altered card, or at least one that's labeled as such. So, not long ago, I was browsing Golden's new weekly auction, and I came across a listing for a 1999-2000 Upper Deck Game Jersey patch of Tim Duncan that was slabbed by PSA as altered. And for those of you that are not familiar with this set, there are two prime versions. There's an unnumbered one, and then the super prime, which is numbered to 25. And this was just the regular prime version, but it featured a pretty large part of a Logo Man patch from a black jersey. And the jersey collar is is significant to me, at least, because every copy I've seen of each version, so it doesn't matter which one, but every copy has come from a white jersey. Now, let me clarify, I have not seen every copy, so I'm not going to render an official opinion, but if one wanted to, I think the context is there. Now, my issue here, though, is not with Golden. I'm not really worried about the way they presented this one. I'm more concerned about PSA's handling of this card. And even if you haven't been listening long, I'm sure you can figure out why. Go back to my segment on the Anthony Davis patch that appears to, at the very least, uh, the piece has been tugged on, although I think it's been removed and put back in. But that was three weeks ago on episode 202. Um, There have been some cards in the past with obvious alterations, and the context tells us it's obvious. So much so that PSA decertifies the card for a short period of time. Okay, so that has happened before, not with the Anthony Davis, but with another card. But ultimately, they're not labeled as altered because there was no physical evidence. That was the reason that PSA gave. Then we have the Anthony Davis that I talked about that had the physical evidence, and PSA was either too careless to notice it, they didn't use their genimate technology they've been talking about, or they just ignored it entirely. Either way, that's not good. And now we have this Tim Duncan where... The context, at the very least, raises some red flags, but there doesn't appear to be any physical evidence where the card is altered, yet the PSA slab labels it as such. So, for the fifth or sixth time now, 
what determines that a card is actually altered or not? What's the policy on this stuff? And in a time where you claim you want to take people behind the curtain, when are you going to make it clear? Now, are people at PSA listening to this segment? I would say probably not. And that's okay, though. I've tweeted these questions to them multiple times. I know everyone's fingers their work at PSA because I've gotten responses before. But the last couple times now, crickets. And as I mentioned previously, I know that they're still using my tracker. Maybe I should just take that down for a little while and force them to go back and figure out some of this stuff on their own, or at least answer some questions for everyone. And I know I could privately message some people, but private answers don't do anything for the collecting community at large. These questions need to be raised publicly and answered publicly so the people who are affected, or could be someday, have access to the answers. And right now, I don't have a lot of faith that that's going to happen. So until then, we wait and we wait and we wait some more. So all of that is to say a lot of inconsistency there at PSA when it comes to altered patches. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. PSA, make this make sense, okay? All right, allow me to interrupt for a moment here to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers, ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckoutMyCards. All right, the second topic that I want to close today's show with is something that's already made the rounds on social media. And someone had destroyed a relic card from the new Absolute Football only to discover that the back of the piece was labeled with a different player's name. And just for context sakes, when Panini cuts a jersey up, they adhere a label on the back of each piece with the player's name and oftentimes the color of the material. I know I've referenced this before, but there's a really good video on Panini's YouTube channel where they cut up a Pete Maravich Celtics jersey and they take you through that entire production process. And a little after the two-minute mark, you can see where they attach the label that has Maravich's name written all over the back of it. So anyway, these posts emerged where we had Devin Funchess relics in DJ Moore cards of the Panthers, we had Devontae Parker instead of Tyreek Hill, both on the Dolphins, and then Andy Isabella in a DeAndre Hopkins cards, both with the Cardinals, I believe. And I think it's pretty clear here that we have a lame duck company that's using leftover relics from lower tier players in cards of stars. That's nothing new, by the way. Anyone remember the old playoff brand? It's like they were taking an old page out of their playbook when they used to uh, make the Team Threads cards that weren't worn by the stars depicted. I guess it's ironic then that this is happening under the, the absolute memorabilia branding because that used to be under the playoff umbrella as well. Um, anyway, these mismatched relic cards were getting people a little worked up, and I suppose it is a little jarring to see all the pieces laid out in broad daylight, but once again, it all goes back to the fine print from the manufacturer. On the back of every card I've seen from this set so far, it explicitly states, the enclosed authentic memorabilia is not from any specific game or event. And I guess people expected the words or player to be added on there as well. 
But I thought we had already established in 2020 that this terminology meant not game-worn or player-worn, because we had rookie hat relics that used women's hats, and we knew that because they used the tags as part of the set. The evidence was there. And if you'll remember, I even took a Cole Anthony tag card and compared it to a new era sizing chart that more or less showed that there was no reasonable way he was fitting in the hat that was featured on part of his cards. And if anything, this recent situation with these football cards showed myself and a number of other collectors that we've made the right decision in not buying any of this non-associated stuff, no matter how bad we want new rookie relics. For example, talked about Halliburton in the intro here. You know, I'd love more options when it comes to Chris Duarte or Tyrese Halliburton rookie relics. For game-worn, there's flawless, and that's it. Then we don't even have player-worn. Okay, It's either unassociated or flawless. And um, I've called these non-associated relics, I've called them props for several years now, and that's exactly what they are. Some people can still enjoy them as such. They see them as little pieces of art. That's fine, as long as they understand what they're getting there. Now, um, if Panini was really trying to mislead them or misguide them, then that would be a problem. But you know, it's on the back of the card that is not associated, right? So if you enjoy that and you treat it that way and you want that as part of your collection, that's fine. Personally, I can't. I think part of that is because I, uh, I'm i too attached to what the relics used to be and what they used to stand for. So while I'm annoyed by these cards, I would say that this specific situation didn't really bother me all that much because the football relic scene has been a mess for a while now. And Panini never claimed these were game-worn. They pretty much told us what was happening on the back of the card. What bothers me more is you have so many people weighing in, and now all of the places that we turn to for hobby discussion are once again chocked full of relic misinformation. And it undermines uh, the overall relic collecting scene, in my opinion. Because you have a lot of people that, for the most part, don't even collect relics trying to tell you how much of a scam they think relics are. There's all sorts of theories out there about random jerseys being used uh, in the supposed game-worn stuff as well, when in basketball, at least, the context tells us otherwise. And don't get me wrong, I know there have been plenty of legitimate relic controversies in the past. You have to be careful when you're buying this stuff, but like I said, the context here is key. For example, I saw someone on the blowout forums write, Panini's verbiage says the enclosed game-worn material is guaranteed by Panini. Does that mean there's a possibility that the game-worn patch could be from other players? Okay, yeah, well, it's possible, yes. Is it likely? No, it's not, because a lot of times we can look at the products from that time frame and see the majority of the pieces from that same jersey, including the nameplate pieces. You can put all the pieces together and see the nameplate, so it's not somebody else's jersey, right? Um, Or look at some of the tag cards. Some of them are dated. I've talked about an Al Horford tag I own that I was able to link up to four different playoff games. So you have to look at all the clues. And and that's part of why I brought people on like Pacers Uniform Tracker from a couple weeks ago who talked about the differences and the uh, differences in material, I should say, between Adidas and Nike. So we can kind of study these jerseys and figure out if this is something we want to pursue or not. And... I've seen people use one or two instances, such as the ripped up football relics now, to try and make a generalization about all relic cards. They'll say, well, you know, that this this proves that relics are a scam. 
Well, the same logic could be used the other way around, because like I said, I photo match threads um, to cards, to auction photos, and then game photos. So by that same goofy logic, you know, I could say, well, this one's proven to be from a game. I guess now we know all cards are game worn. So it doesn't work that way. You can't apply that logic to everything either way. Um, or how about this? When all of this went down this past week, um, a card in my collection or in my card room here kind of came to my mind. And it's a card I haven't thought about in a long time. But I had a damaged 2017-2018 Stephen Adams relic that I pulled from Prism Retail back in 2017. And I still had it here at the house. Because I never sent it back because, you you know, don't send in a $3 relic for replacement. I don't, I've actually never sent a card in for replacement, but I'm definitely not going to do it with a relic. So guess what? Um, it went under the knife. And what did I find under that Stephen Adams relic piece? Well, I saw Stephen Adams' name typed again and again and again. So just as the football cards that never claimed to be associated with anything showed that they were, in fact, not associated with anything. This Stephen Adams relic, which claimed to be a game-worn Stephen Adams relic, well, it appears to have been a game-worn Stephen Adams relic, as advertised. So, as much as I love a good old Panini Bash section, this situation ain't it. Am I frustrated by the non-associated era? Absolutely. If you've listened to the show any in the last couple years, you know that. And I hate that we're stuck with it. But in the meantime, if you value specific types of material used in cards, you have to do your due diligence when it comes to researching these things and figuring out what you want to purchase. Alright, well there you have it. Quick little episode this week. I hope you enjoyed that one. Maybe there was something I talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www waxmuseumpodcast.com In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>